today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. All of the players are in place, and it's interesting to note, here we have all of these reigning powers. All of these reigning powers for man in that region and of that culture and of that time. Political, religious, and yes, even social. And surrounded by all of that power and in the midst of all of that influence and push, we read that it was the word of God that came to John, the son of Zacharias, there in the wilderness. As Pastor David continues his teaching series through the Gospel of Luke, he'll be reminding us how important it is for us to obey the voice of the Lord. In our text today, John the Baptist is speaking forth the Word of God to the people of Israel after God was silent for an extremely long time. The children of Israel continually disobeyed the Word of the Lord, and then eventually, God stopped speaking to them for a long period of time. When God speaks, obey His voice without delay. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Prepare the Way. writes that it was now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate while being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria in the region of Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It's interesting, the first thing that Luke draws our attention to are these political leaders and the religious leaders. It's a way also of dating when these events that Luke is going to be speaking about take place. Again, seeing that right now is a very important time. It's a transition time from the Old Testament time of prophecies and promises to the New Testament time of the fulfillment of these promises and hope that now is being shown and received. We're about to enter that time frame of the earthly ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God and the Son of Man. And as we've shared in all of this study in Luke, the whole theme for this, Jesus, 
the Son of Man. Luke is living in a world that wasn't dated so much by the years as it was dated by the year of reign of the political rulers of the day. The dates of reigning kings or emperors or even pharaohs of that day. And Luke gives that method of dating that was used during his day so that we can get a pretty clear picture of the time and the age that these events are taking place. He says that now it's in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. You don't have to go too far into history or dig too deep into history to see the mess of Rome, the mess of the Caesars and the, the intermarriages, the, the craziness of mind, the, the acts of inhumanity that many of these Caesars placed upon the people that they ruled over. Tiberius Caesar was actually the second Roman emperor. He was the stepson and the successor to Augustus Caesar. It was now the 15th year of his reign, and that pretty much nails the date down. His reign actually started in AD 14, and it ended in AD 37. So the 15th year of his reign would have been the time frame of around 28 to 29 AD. And you say, well, don't you know exactly what 15 years added to 14 years would be? Well, actually, it depended upon how you dated it, and different people dated it in different ways. Sometimes they would date by the calendar year. Other times they would date simply by the anniversary of the one and when they came into reign. So suffice it to say, it was around AD 28 or 29. Luke also speaks of Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate, as we've read through the Gospels and looked at them so much ourselves personally, or as we preach through them, Pontius Pilate holds a pretty big hand in the events of Jesus's life. A particularly in the last hours of his life. He served under Emperor Tiberius there in the area of Judea from AD 26 to AD 36. And yes, it was this same Pilate that would later place Jesus on trial and either call for or allow his execution to take place. Added to Pilate, Luke also gives us Herod being the Tetrarch of Galilee. The Herod that Luke speaks about here is actually the son of Herod the Great that we looked at just a a week or so ago when we looked at the earlier chapters of Luke and also of Matthew. Remember, it was Herod the Great that, again, tried to deceive the Magi because he wanted to murder the Christ child. Well, this is now his son. And Herod here comes in as the one who, over the life of Jesus, is now reigning and ruling. He's Herod Antipas. And actually, one of the other peculiar things about the Herods themselves, this Herod divorced one of his wives in order that he could steal the wife of his brother Philip to become his wife. And then later, he gets to where he doesn't really care for her. They both go off into exile. Just a real weird situation. All of the power, and yet no moral structure, no standards within their lives. Luke also lists Philip, Philip the Tetrarch of Aturia in the region of Trachonitis. This was the area north and east of Galilee. And again, he ruled for about 37 years. Not much is known about the next guy, Lysanias. He was Tetrarch of Abilene, and that was the area, again, on the east side of Mount Hermon, going on up toward Damascus. 
So we move through all of these secular leaders, these political leaders, and then Luke gives us the name of two religious leaders. The problem is, is he mentions two serving at the same time as high priest, Annas and Caiaphas as high priest. But the problem is, is for Judaism, there was only one high priest. During this time, though, there seemed to be a little bit of confusion. Well, the issue is actually pretty easily solved. You see, Annas, the older one, he was placed in as high priest by the Romans early on. In AD 7, he became the high priest at the ripe old age of 26. Now, the very interesting thing about that, you weren't even able to be a rabbi till you were 30. But yet Rome placed Annas in as the high priest, and he reigned for about seven years, and then he was deposed, and another guy came in and took his place. And then a little bit later, his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was appointed by Rome to be the high priest. The favor of the Jews, of the society, was still on Annas. And though Caiaphas was the reigning high priest, he was actually pretty much the puppet high priest of his father-in-law, Annas. Now, aren't you glad that father-in-laws aren't like that, that they don't try to control your lives? But anyway, that's, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. So here it is. It's the year 28, 29 A.D., all of the players are in place, and it's interesting to note, here we have all of these reigning powers all of these reigning powers for man in that region and of that culture and of that time. Political, religious, and yes, even social. And surrounded by all of that power and in the midst of all of that influence and push, we read that it was the word of God that came to John, the son of Zacharias, there in the wilderness. As is the case with Jesus, we don't know a whole lot about John's early childhood. When the angel declared to Zacharias, his father, that he would be a Nazarite from birth, we kind of understand what that is according to what the Word of God tells us. Now, again, he had to be a very individual to say the least. Matthew and Mark give us a little bit of description about him. Matthew and Mark both tell us that John himself was clothed in, in camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. One of the other things we know about the vow of the Nazarite that we find back in Numbers 6 is that Nazarites, once they've taken that vow, they don't cut their hair. A razor should not come on your head. So either the hair on their head or even their facial hair. So you've got to picture this guy, if you would. He's living out in the wilderness, okay? Fortunately, he's not your next door neighbor because he's a wild looking guy. By this time, we understand from Luke's gospel in just a few passages, Jesus is 30. John, who is his cousin, is only about six months older than Jesus. So he's about 30, 31, how long does your hair get in 31 years? How many times does it have to be knotted up and wrapped around to be able to do anything? How about his beard just coming out and just going everywhere? And he's dressed in camel's fur and, and this big leather belt that holds everything together. And he's got this breath that reminds you of locusts, okay? So this is the guy. He's not a political figure, has no power within society at all. He's not a religious figure as far as the official religion is concerned. 
But it's not the move of man. It's not the move of politics. It's not the move of power. It's not the move of ritual that comes on his life. It's the word of God that came to his life. And that's what moved John. John wasn't moved by politics. He wasn't moved by religious rituals. He wasn't moved by any other social sway of his day. John was a man that was moved by and desired to hear the word of God in his life. And as the spirit of God moved, so John moved. As the word of God spoke, so John spoke. And as God spoke to John, John was obedient to that voice and to the spirit moving upon him. And so Luke tells us that John John was out in the wilderness when he heard this, when he received that call of God. And once receiving that call, the word tells us that he went into all of the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now we're going to get into the baptism for remission of sins in a little bit. But for now, I want you to see that John's life and John's ministry was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. He was the forerunner of the Christ, of the Messiah. And as he was obedient to the Lord's direction in his life, he became that voice of one crying out in the wilderness. The prophecy he was fulfilling, the declarations he was making, we first hear about those during the time of Isaiah. During that time, God had warned his people over and over through the voice of Isaiah the prophet. He warned them of their continued sin and of the consequences of those sins. Because they continued in rebellion against God, they were now subject to the discipline of God through the Babylonian captivity. God had warned them time and time and time again, and yet they refused to listen. And so God sent Isaiah to proclaim his judgment against them. And yet, even in the midst of the judgment that Isaiah brought, there comes this marvelous hope. The whole of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40, and I want you to turn there if you would. The whole of this prophecy is a prophecy actually of comfort, of hope, and of redemption after a time of discipline and correction. Look there in Isaiah chapter 40. In the midst of all of this that the Lord is speaking through Isaiah to the people, God also speaks these words through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse six, the voice said, cry out. Then he said, what shall I cry out? Cry out this, that all flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And I might pause here and say that again, we look at this and we could place in here is that politics wither 
and fade. Place, position, and power withers and fades. But the word of God remains forever. He says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, you who bring good news, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And then we get these comforting words in verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. What was one of the titles of Jesus? The good shepherd, the great shepherd. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Here in the midst of all the condemnation about Israel because of the abundance of their sin and the abundance of their rebellion, God comes and speaks to them comfort. Here we see the glory of God demonstrated through the greatness of his compassion toward these rebellious people. He could have easily wiped out Israel and started again, started all over again with a whole another nation, a whole new population, just as he did in Noah's day. But God did something different here. He had called a people, this small nation of Israel, and he says, my hand is upon you. I'm going to bless you, not because of your greatness, Israel, not because of your power, not because of your influence, but that my glory might be shown through you. Beloved, if God uses anyone, he uses them today, not because of their greatness, not because of their influence, or even their talents. He uses them to glorify himself when he finds willing vessels. We usually think of the ministry of John the Baptist as being pretty harsh, to the point kind of a ministry. And it was, but the point that he was trying to bring out in every way was that God was coming to reveal himself to his people in a way that they had never experienced before. It was John's voice that said, make ready, prepare the way. God's glory is going to be revealed. All flesh is going to see it. We can trust it because God has already declared it. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And John was the forerunner of the coming of Messiah. And as direct as John's message was, it was still a message of hope to the people. The sad thing is, is not all flesh will take advantage of the salvation of God. They'll see it but they will not take advantage of it. And we see this here. John didn't go for easy believism. John didn't want to simply be counting baptisms to be able to report back to the home office how many we baptized last year. He wasn't going to play the games of, of religion on the outside while people were dying on the inside. John knew that there were many people who were really and truly and honestly seeking forgiveness for their sin. They knew that they were wrong and they wanted to turn to God and commit themselves to God. They were the ones who needed to know that God would still accept them even after all that they had already done. And although in Luke, when we look at the next few verses in Luke, it would seem like there's this major harshness in John, even to the multitudes of the people. Look at what, back in Luke chapter three, look at what verse seven says. Then he, John, 
said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And if that's all we knew about John's ministry, we think, well, wow, who could even come and be baptized? In Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse seven, listen to what it says about John's ministry. It says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized baptized by John there in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Many were coming to him with this repentant heart and this great hope that God would be merciful to them. But yet here in Luke, and also we see it in Matthew, there were also the Pharisees, the religious ones, the ones who had power, the ones who had esteem, the ones who had social standing, that looked and saw what John was doing to simply be something that along with their society that they would come and do. And John knew that their heart wasn't in the right place. These are the ones that John zeroed in on when he said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. John saw right through their facade. He understood the falseness of these religious leaders. He wasn't going to play their games. He wasn't going to buy in to just simply their words. Rather than give even any kind of a false hope, he called them out for who they were and for what they were. It saddens my heart today during these political seasons where different politicians rise up and they think that they can speak wooing words to the evangelicals and to the religious right and say, well, if I just say the right words at the right time, then they'll vote for me, I can get into position, then I can do whatever I want to do. It's a sad thing, and the problem is, is too many times we buy right into it. Why? Because we listen to the words of man rather than to the Spirit of God. That's why it's important for us to pray when we get ready to vote. John wasn't ashamed, nor was he afraid to declare the coming destruction on those, again, who were not repentant, on those who would come with this facade, with this falseness before him. When we look back in verse 3, that John went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism for repentance, for the remission of sins. That's what I want us to take time real quickly to look at as we end up this morning. What is this baptism of repentance for the remission of sins? I believe according to John's response to the Pharisees, it's very clear that John fully understood that the baptism that he was administering was simply an outward picture of what had already changed on the inside of an individual. John clearly recognized that baptism doesn't save anyone, neither then nor does it now. Otherwise, he would have made it available to the Pharisees. Here comes this group of Pharisees. Hey, we want to be baptized. Great, let's get you in the water. Let's wash you clean. Let's baptize you and change your life. But John knew, no, that's that's not what baptism was about. He knew that the heart had to change long before they entered the baptismal waters. In that phrase, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin, repentance is the true focal point of that phrase. And the Greek word used here for repentance means a change of mind. 
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Small